And we're going to open up to the Song of Solomon. And, um, and so we are in the second chapter of the Song of Solomon. Remember, it's the part of the wisdom literature, poetry. It's poetry. This is really, remember this, a song or lyrics to a song that were meant to be sung. And it's not just a song. Who here loves to write songs? Anybody here like to write songs? Yeah, write songs, yeah. Yeah. It's not just a song. How do I know that? Because he wrote over a thousand songs, it says, right, in the Bible. This is the song of songs. This is the number one hit. This is it. And what a song it is. We started to learn that last week. I don't know that you could understand the Song of Solomon if you don't know what's taking place after the cross or in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, let me read it to you again in verse 22. And the reason I'm reading from here is the Bible tells us in the New Testament that the things that happened in the Old Testament really happened. It's his story, history. These things really happened. So the best reading of the Song of Solomon is a literal reading. (laughs) But the Bible also tells us in the New Testament, that the things that, were, that happened and were written down in the Old Testament are types and shadows of a greater reality. Can you imagine a God so big? A God so big that he works, have you ever thought about this? He works his love out or his love story out in the lives of families and people. You see, if I was God, praise the Lord, I'm not or could ever be, I probably, if I was going to reduce my teachings to you to a love letter or to, excuse me, to a, to, a, to a piece of paper or scrolls, I probably would have done bullet points. Here's the doctrine on this. Here's the doctrine on this. Boom, 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 boom. And on and on we go. God didn't do that, folks. Are you catching this? That's one of the touching things about the the Scriptures. He worked out all of this stuff, this theology, this doctrine, the, the love and the beauty and the majesty. He revealed himself, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ, but it's playing out through people of which you're one or some. Which just that alone, just, just that, just that thought, just that thought tells me and tells you how loved you are. He chose to work through people. I probably would have gone, my goodness, that's a bunch of screwed up people down there. I'll just write my own story here. Check, 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 check. It had been so clinical. It had been so not personal, but the Lord enters right into our lives. 
So types and shadows, these things really happened in the Old Testament, but God says they're types and shadows of something that's greater, a greater reality. And we said last week, didn't we, that one of the purposes we think of the Song of Songs is to awaken our love for Jesus Christ ourselves, in in us. And we know this, look at this. There's this whole thing in chapter 22. Most people, especially of a different sex than me, the hair on the back of their neck stands up when they start to read this stuff. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And yet it's a beautiful picture of submitting to the Lord. It, listen, when we read the Song of Solomon, she's independent. She thinks for herself. She fiercely loves. She has passion and desire. That's wonderful. And she lets the husband lead. There's just different roles. Not, nobody's better than anybody. It's just a different role. It's beautiful. But here, wives, submit to your own husbands, Ephesians 5. How? As to the Lord. By the way, before you get to that, it says that each one, the husband and the wife, are supposed to submit to one another in the fear of God. It's a mutual respect for one another. So the wives submit to the husband as to the Lord, for the husband of the head of the wife is also Christ as head of the church, and he's Savior of the body, verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. The husbands say, stop right there. That's a joke. But it doesn't stop right there. Then it says, husbands, (laughs) love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might, what? Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Husbands, if you're not washing your wife in the water of the word, take a time out in life, turn, and make sure that starts to happen. If you're single here, you're relying upon the Lord as the bride of Christ, to have you come enter in and sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of the water by the word. Husbands, you do that practically here on earth, but the Lord does the cleansing, you see that. Why? So that he would present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I got something funny to say there, but I won't say it. But that she should be holy and without blemish. That's our hearts for our wives. Not that they would serve us, but that they would be presented glorious to the Lord. So husbands, listen to this. It's, this cracks me up, man. I feel like this is funny, but maybe it's just because I'm a male and I know how I think. It's like God says, now husbands, you, you know how you love yourself so much? <laughs> you, you, you love your wife like that. Because he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, verse 31 says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, that's in all ways, physically, and we're going to talk about it here today. The Song of Solomon, folks, is passionate. It's erotic without being pornographic. 
It's a gift from God. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Emotionally, we give ourselves to our wives, and our wives give ourselves back. Spiritually, you know, we just engage spiritually in the same things. Think about that. You know, there's a lot of men in the world. They think it's really cool to be tough and never to, um, you know, share anything with their wife and just, you know, just, you know, I pick myself up by my own bootstraps and, you know, I don't want anybody to think I'm weak and, you know, but you see here, here you're missing out on something because a part of love is vulnerability. You can't really love somebody unless you're vulnerable. Like when you get married, it's like you take the heart out of your chest and you go, here, you have this which is kind of scary. I don't like doing that, to be honest with you, in my own flesh. It's like you're giving yourself to the Lord, and she's giving her heart back, and it's like, that's a little scary. See, that's vulnerability, though, and without it, there's no love. So guys, give yourselves to your wife. Talk to her about the things that are on your mind. She likes that. Trust me, she likes to talk. I don't mean that in like some sexist way, like, uh, oh, my wife talks a lot, although she sort of does, but uh, <laughs> it's not some sexist thing. That's how she gets the stuff out that she needs to get out. I don't ever need to do that. And yet, there's this sharing that should go on between you and your, your wife, right? And then it comes to this. Look at this. The reason I brought you here. This is the reason for the Song of Solomon. This is the great mystery, or a great mystery, the mysterion. Paul calls it. He, Paul's like, man, whew, this thing called marriage, man, between a husband and a wife, it's mysterious. It's deep. It's not just two people finding happiness with a white picket fence, getting to retirement so they can golf all the time and take trips. That's what most people think marriage is like. That's not it. There's something going on. It's mysteriously intertwined with the gospel, with the entire book of the Bible. From the beginning, God creates a helpmate for, his, for Adam, and then he creates these people, and the, God, when the people rebel against him, he talks about how He's betrothed to his people, but they've played the harlot. They've gone and been adulterous. He speaks in marriage language all throughout the Bible. And we, in the New Testament, become his bride. And we are, if the Lord calls us to, he doesn't call all of us to, and that's okay. He says singleness is a great gift because you can serve the Lord in an easier and better way. You're not as have as many things to do. But all through the Bible, he calls us the bride of Christ. And that part of that is some people get married. And if they do get married, it's a great mystery because it's not just about your happiness. Your marriage is shouting to the world the gospel. Who feels like that all the time when bills come due and the house is wrecked? And the sewers are stopped up, and you have, or whatever, you, you know, and jeez, and the and dishes aren't done, and the laundry's not done, and everything, right? Sometimes you can miss sight of that. This is the great mystery, is that marriages shout to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, with that backdrop, turn with me over to the Song of Solomon. You might not even know where the Song of Solomon is. That's okay. Look it up in... Um, in the back of, or the front of your Bible, uh, and uh, it's right after Ecclesiastes. 
a song about human love within the marriage and divine love. It's about divine love. One outline that I subscribe to, you know, some people believe, uh, and this is the, the outline that I would go with, is that chapter 1 through chapter 3 at the beginning is the anticipation or the courtship of dating up until the time that the marriage happens. And the marriage or the wedding happens in chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 5, verse 1. And then there's a great celebration of the marriage in chapter 5 all the way through chapter 8. Some people adhere to that. I do. Some other people think, no, this whole thing's about the time in which they were married. If you pay close attention, I told you, here's how we're going to view it. We're going to look at the literal story. We're going to look at this courtship between a husband and a wife or a fiancé and a fiancé, you know, a man and a woman. We're going to look at that, and you could pull out some things about who you look for in dating and what you should be like. Remember, we believe here that you're made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit, and that you, who you marry, should connect on the body. You should be attracted to the person. Of course you should be attracted to the person physically. But that's not all. You should be connect there on the personal, the mind, the will, the emotions. You should connect in all those ways. The way in which you relate to people, uh, your personality, her personality, they should connect. And then you should connect in the spiritual. You know, if, if, if you're a young lady who wants to do missions, for instance, and you meet some guy and you really want to date him, but he only wants to come to church on Easter, Christmas, and maybe one other time during the year, you might have a problem connecting on the spiritual. And here's what happens to people. A lot of people connect, especially on level one. Ooh, wow. I'm attracted to her and she's attracted to me. Let's get married. But they never spend time on two and three. Other people get married, you know, uh, uh, you know, you've had some people who connect on two and three, but they're not connected on one <laughs> or whatever. There's one missing or two missing. Now it's doable, but you got to work through some things, right? All right. Well, here we go. We're going to see that you can pick out some things both about a husband and a wife or a fiance, or fiancés who are dating, and then also you're going to see amazing stuff about God's love for you. In fact, Philip Riken, who in my humble yet accurate opinion, that's a joke, has written the best book on the Song of Solomon, and there's Kelly Clark back right there. Kelly, put your hand up. Kelly Clark is going to be down at the table after church, and you can go and buy this book called The Love of Loves by Philip Riken. Philip Riken is the uh, president of Wheaton College. He used to be the pastor at 10th Presby Church in Philadelphia. Here's what he says about the Song of Songs or the Love of Loves. Ready? Marital love is one of the main ways that the Bible talks about God's desire for his people and about our eternal romance with Jesus Christ. We should never forget that we are betrothed to the Son of God. If you're a Christ follower here, how many times in your life have you got up in the morning and said, praise the Lord, praise you God, I'm married to Jesus. 
I don't care if you're male or female, you're part of the bride of Christ. We should never forget that we are betrothed to the Son of God and that as a result, this is the important part, everything the Bible says about the mystery of marriage is partly intended to help us fall more deeply in love with our Savior. Wow. As we said last week or maybe the week before, but I might just say it every week, we're treading on holy ground. Look at this. When we left off, here's this beautiful, wonderful, independent, smart, strong, passionate young lady. And she knows what she wants. She starts out, I mean, you're, you're just reading along in your one-year Bible, and you get to the Song of Solomon, and you know, you go, whoa, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Whoa, where did this come from? And she knows. And she says, for your love, chapter 1, verse 2 is better than wine. And we walked through that. And uh, she is uh, in this stage where she's fallen in love with Solomon. Some people don't think it's Solomon that she falls in love with, but that's for a different day. We'll follow the model in which she does fall in love with Solomon. And we went through all of that. Remember, there's a couple people you need to know. The young lady is called the Shulamite here, probably in your Bible if you have it. It's called the Shulamite. The young man is the beloved. He's Solomon. There's a few other minor characters. There's the brothers of the Shulamite. And there's the daughters of Jerusalem, who's like the chorus. And there's a relatives to the wedding party. You'll see them as we go along. But she gets to this place. How smart and wonderful is this? She gets to this place where in chapter 2, verse 7, that's where we left off, she says, hey, you know, I really like you to come and be near me and we could be together. In fact, you have brought me to a place called the banqueting table. What a beautiful picture of love as it's a feast of delights. Not just physically, although that's part of it, of course it is, but it's the delight you have for each other, back and forth. And you, it, it, your, your marriage, even in the mundane, is a celebration, uh, a, a dynamic, living celebration of God's love for you and your love for each other. And he brings you, I'm to bring my wife into that place. Are you catching that? Ladies who are looking for a man, does your future spouse, if you're thinking of that way, the person you're dating, want to bring you to a banqueting table, a place where you can feast on the delights of the Lord, or does he want to take you to the, wherever they take you now, disco, you know, it's not that, I know, but <clears throat> I'm dating myself. <laughs> and if I don't shut up, I might be dating myself here, but... Uh... <laughs> She says this as he brings her to this banqueting house, and it, she can just tell as she's dating him how dynamic it is, and he thinks of the things of the Lord, and he wants to put up a banner over me, and that banner over me is love. It's not conquest or trophy or serve me. No, it's love. It's self-sacrificial. It's love. That's what my date, my fiance's like. That's what you look for in a guy. And of course, we went through that and saw how Jesus pours out for us. It's sacrificial love. That's the banqueting house. But then she says something amazing, amazing, such maturity in this young lady. She says, don't stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. 
And one of the things I went off on last week, I'm sorry, but man, I just got to say it again because I got some of you captive here. Parents, we violate this all the time. Don't stir up passion and love until it's time. It's like us as parents, we look over on Instagram and Facebook and we see all these popular people at the gala and you just like open the door and you just say, go do what you want. And it's like leading lambs to the slaughter. Why don't instead of that, have a person who's in your house, a son or daughter, live out their romantic life, if there even is a romantic life until they're adults, but live out their romantic life within the community of faith. That's what these two do. They never hide their love or take it behind closed doors until the right time. God's not saying no to physicality. He's saying yes to physicality, but only when it's time. And parents do a terrible job, in my estimation, sorry, of this. The kids want to be led, and yet we just open up the door and say, hmm, that's my soapbox. Because here, this young lady says, hey, it's not about what we can and can't do. You notice she says that? How, how mature is this girl? It's not about what we can and can't do. It's about honoring God. And God always talks about a physical relation inside a covenant of marriage. And we're waiting, she says. By the way, it's up to the boys, too. I'm not pinning it on the girls here, and I don't think the Bible ever pins on the, uh, the girls. Boys, young men, teach them to honor the ladies. Talk to them about it from a young age, as young as is appropriate. You can go and focus on the family. They'll give you the, the age-appropriate ways and, or times to talk to your kids about the other sex and those sorts of things and what you should and can't divulge. But talk to them about it and about honoring the other. Don't stir up nor waken love until it pleases. And when does it please? When it comes into a marital covenant relationship. That's when God says, be vulnerable and uninhibited and it'll be beautiful. So we go on here in verse 8. Look at this. The Shulamite now, the young maiden, says this. Ah, the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. That's funny. But my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. Can you see the mutual attraction here? One, she hears his voice, and she knows that he's, that's her beloved. She knows the voice of her beloved from afar. She knows it, and she seeks after that, which tells me something. They're attracted, of course, but she's, more attra she's just as attracted. Yes, physically, but she's attracted to the voice of strength and care and comfort and sacrifice, and she hears that voice, and it does something to her. She loves him. And she wants him to come to him and run to her. And, she, and he does. He would even leap over the mountains or skip upon the hills. What's funny about that is, as we look at the, Christ's love for us here, as he seeks after us, as he draws us to himself, we see that. But also, from a personal level, just dating, what are one of the things that mountains represent in the Bible? Mountains represent obstacles or problems. 
Ladies, I know you're tired. You stayed up till 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. But don't miss this one when you're thinking about dating someone. Here, this guy is nimble and strong and agile on the mountains. You say, well, okay, why are you getting so excited? I'm tired. Because of a number of reasons. When this guy you're dating sees mountains or obstacles, he has faith to trust in God that those mountains could be moved or that even better, God will take me over the mountains. Maybe he won't even move the mountains. Maybe, that's okay. We'll trust in God and we'll tr uh, tramp over the mountains in faith in God. We'll be nimble up there. We'll be strong up there, but not because of us. We'll be strong in the power of the Lord. And so you could just, from a practical standpoint, when you're dating somebody and problems arise in the family or in the career, you look at him and you watch how he reacts to it. And when he crumbles and he goes in the tank, yeah, you pray for him, but you got to watch. Is he a man of faith? Faith. And you go, well, wait a minute. You know, there's not a lot of Billy Grahams. There's not a lot of... Anyway, there's not a lot of Billy Grahams out there, and you're like, well, yeah, but listen, Jesus said if you have faith this much, mustard seed faith, you could move mountains. It's not about your faith. It's about who you have faith in, and does your guy leap on them? Amen. He's like a gazelle or a young staff. Man, when problems come up, this guy, can he's nimble there. He knows his way around what the Lord is doing because of the Lord. And he's not, he, he's so after me. He's so in love with me. I hear his voice. He comes closer and he even watches through the windows. I don't think he's a creeper or anything. I think he's just so enthralled with this lady, this young lady, and she likes it. And he gazes through the window and he speaks to her in verse 10 and says, how about this one? How about this, guys, gals? He says, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Just come away. These two want to be together in all ways. They want to be together. They're passionate for each other. He says, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Look down in verse 13. He says, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And in fact, this part of the Scripture is set in the springtime. Look, verse 11, for lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing is come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Do, do you see what's happening here? The, the, the uh, husband is, is being, you know, the, the aroma of the spring and the life that's coming back and the fertility, and spring is for lovers. That should be like a t-shirt or something, but you know, spring is for lovers and it's in that environment. And he's already said, I'd love you to come away with me. But then he talks to her about it and he says, wow, I'd really like you to come away with me. And those, or that phrase, come away, that, that phrase, you know, in the New Testament, that phrase is a unbelievable, uh, God bless you, unbelievable phrase of God's grace. Do you know that? And so we see the picture of Jesus for his bride. You know what Jesus says to people who are really, really hurting and tired and weary and can't go on? You know what he says? Come you, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come. It's the words of grace. 
In Isaiah 1, 18, he says, you, you know, come and I'll cleanse you of all your sins. Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They shall be as, or excuse me, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's in Isaiah 1.18, that's this words of, uh, you know, of, uh, of grace. In Luke 14, he talks about if somebody's hungry and needs nourished, come. He says he's the water of life, life and all who thirst, he'll give you something to drink. Just, just come. These are the words of grace. You see how the husband here or the fiance, the, the, the man here, he's, he's, he's speaking words of grace to his wife. Or his future wife. Man, is that convicting. Whoo! Don't you get in the busyness of life, right? Don't you get in the busyness of life, marriage? And sometimes you start talking to each other like your roommates. You know how you were roommates with that guy in college? And they didn't care what you said to them. And, they, and what they said to you, you didn't care what they said to you. You were roommates. And you were just buddies, and, and sometimes husband and wife can be like that. I know I can. Maybe you can't. If you're not, that's great. But here, these are words of grace to each other, and grace is an amazing thing. It, it, it gives you breaks. It's graceful to you, but in Titus, grace says it's for you to be more Christ-like. Are you speaking words of grace to each other? girls who are looking for guys, guys who are looking for girls, is their speech graceful? Jesus says, of course, come away to all those who are weary, who need cleansing of sin, who are hungry or thirsty. But he also says to the family of God, isn't it wonderful? He says this, he tells us to come and see. He tells us to come and drink and come and dine with him. I mean, come on. These are words of grace for those who are outside the family of God and for those who are inside the family of God. And here, right in this setting of spring, the soon-to-be husband says, I'd like you to come away with me. There's another thing there, I think, husbands. Do your, does your wife know that you love her in that way? Are you, does your wife know that you want to take her on an adventure? I mean, I'll take my wife to Colorado and get her lost. Almost killed, <laughs> almost dead. But you know that's another story for another day. But what, what, what here you see, you see uh, this uh, soon-to-be husband bringing to her a banqueting house to experience the delight and riches of the things of God, but also calling her to come away and to go on an adventure with him. You see that? And the greatest adventure, Ray Steadman says it. Read Ray Steadman if you've never read Ray Steadman. Ray Steadman says, I don't see how any Christian could ever be bored. It's the greatest adventure of all time. I get up in the morning, I speak to my father, and I ask him to send me where he wants to send me, and I never know what's exactly going to happen, and it's the most exciting adventure of all time sharing and loving and spreading the gospel. And here, this husband, or soon-to-be husband, says to the wife, come away. These are words of grace. We're going to devote our life to the grace of God. Wow. On the other level, as you look at it from Jesus, Jesus calls you to come away to the great adventure, as Ray Steadman says. Well, look at this. In verse 14, O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He's speaking these beautiful uh, 
words uh, that she's, her voice is sweet too and uh, lovely and your face is lovely. You're just a beautiful lady. But the, all this business, you know, doves come in pairs usually. You know that because you love that song at Christmas. Two turtle doves, yes, and up, right, anyway. And here there's one dove and he, she's hidden herself in the cleft of the rock. Isn't that interesting? By the way, we could do a whole sermon on Moses wanted to see the presence of the Lord. He told Moses, back up into that cleft of the rock, and I'm going to give you a little bit of my presence, but I can't give you it all. It'll blow you away. And we could do that. We're not going to for time's sake. But look at this. There's one dove in the cleft. He's the other dove, and he's like, well, wait a minute. I want you to come away. You want to come away with me. It's all set up. Why don't we just come away? She wants to honor God. It's not that she's hiding that she doesn't want to marry him. No, she wants him to kiss him with the kisses of his mouth. She wants to honor God. And how do I know that? Because if you go over to the chapter 3 in verse 5, she says it again. Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. But in the meantime, she says this. Verse 15 of chapter 2, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Now, what does this mean? Well, remember, it might be, it could possibly be that she worked on a vineyard that Solomon owned, and she uh, met him there. We saw that in chapter 8. What does this mean, catch the foxes? Well, for the married people here, uh, here's what it means. There is oftentimes foxes, little things that eat up the tender grapes. And what are the tender grapes? It's your love for one another. It's your life. You're a tender grape for your husband. You're a tender grape for your wife. It's one that tender can mean exquisitely beautiful to the taste when you eat a grape. Or it could mean tender in that it's blooming and young. And so what are we to do as husbands and wives for each other. We're to have patient patience as we grow. Are you ever impatient with you know, your spouse about something of the Lord? You're like, why don't you get that? Are you even saved? No, don't say that. Don't say that. It's a joke. It's a joke. Relax. It's, <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, right? But, uh, uh, right? Are we patient with the things of the Lord in, in, in our spouse? And also, uh, are we protecting our spouse? We're called to be protectors. And watch, there's little things that can get in and eat up that stuff. The security and the safety and the love and the protection. What are some of those things? Well, there's one thing that God hates a lot. Here it is, men. But I bet it's not just for men. Here it is, Pride. Oh, man, I don't even want to say it. I'm so prideful, I don't even want to say pride. Pride. Get your own way. Be right in all the arguments, or, you know, not even argument. All the, you, you got to be right. Uh, she's got to do everything you want to do. He's got to do everything you want to do. And these pride, boy, that can knock out. That can knock out and be an amazing little, uh, little fox. Jealousy. Uh, the way in which we talk to one another can be a little fox that can destroy the security and protection of the, the, uh, 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 of the relationship. And you who are sitting here and you're young, see, you could 
evaluate this as you're dating. Is this one who would come around me and protect me in these ways? Is this one who would come around and be patient with me if I'm not growing? Or would I be patient with them? And that's something to see and to think about. Here's why. Because we have little foxes in our relationship with the Lord. And sometimes they become big foxes. It's stuff like this, hobbies. You know, the, uh, Jan was telling me a story the other day about Kay Smith. Uh, Kay Smith is the wife of Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel. I never knew this story. She said when she was a little girl, her mom and dad were uh, missionaries, and they never missed church. But about midway through her life, I don't know, when she was 8, 9, or 10, Jan will correct me in a minute, but anyway... Uh, when she was growing up, uh, uh, mom and dad of Kay Smith bought a cottage on a lake. Nothing wrong with having a cottage on a lake. And so they committed to themselves, yeah, maybe we'll start going up on Thursday night and stay until Friday or something like that, and then we'll come home Friday. But then what they started to love is they loved the lake life. And the next thing you knew, they weren't just coming home on Friday morning, they were coming home on Friday evening, and they were loving it. And they said, well, my goodness, why don't we just stay over till Sunday morning? We could still be back for all our commitments on Sunday afternoon. So they started doing that, and after a while, it turned into Saturday night. And then after that, it turned into Sunday morning, getting up ultra early and driving back to church. And before long, here it is, Kay Smith and her mom and dad, these wonderful, beautiful, godly missionary uh, parents, started to mish their commitments and fellowship at church, all because of a lake home. Now, am I saying a lake home's bad? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there are a million little foxes that can get in. It could be a hobby. It could be uh, uh, an attitude. It could be, you know, maybe something uh, in your sex life, uh, marriage. Uh, It can be a lot of things that can get in there and to start breaking down your relationship. But then with the Lord... It can be tons of things too. It could be, you know, the lake house or the, I'm too busy or I put too many things on my schedule. I can't pray anymore because I have to get up and do all of these certain things. And and now I can't even pray for my wife because I'm so busy. It can be a million little foxes. Hudson Taylor said this, they could ruin our relationship with Jesus Christ. The enemies may be small, but the mischief done is great. And how numerous the little foxes are, little compromises with the world. Did you catch that? Little compromises with the world. I'll buy the lake house. I'll stay there for the dirty joke at the Christmas party. No one will, no one will know. And then the next thing, next thing you know, you're telling the dirty joke at the Christmas party. Uh, the enemies may be small, but the mischief done great. And how numerous the little foxes are, little compromises with the world, disobedience to the still small voice in little things, little indulgences of the flesh to the ne- neglect of duty. Oh, if I just look at this on my phone, my wife won't know. It's, it's not even pornography, but I'll look. Uh, little strokes of policy, doing evil in little things that good may come, and the beauty and the fruitfulness of the vine are sacrificed. Whoa. You're going to want that quote. Don't let the little foxes in on your marriage, you see. Don't let the little foxes in with your relationship with the Lord. Be honest. Are there things that are keeping you from fellowship, from studying the word, from prayer and praise, uh, from serving? Come on, man. You don't have to schedule, you know, uh, little Billy's uh, little hockey game Monday, f- Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Most of the time, listen, I've been in Division One sports. Most of the time, I can tell little Billy ain't going to the NHL. 
You think he is, but he ain't. Well, we know this one pastor. He says, do you know how I know? I'm looking at you, and I see your genetics. But it's true. Come on, folks. Little foxes, they can get in. And then they, the Shulamite here says something incredibly beautiful, maybe the most beautiful part of the whole book. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. And what she's asking him there to do right there is kiss her. That's, she refers to it later, just to smother me with this kiss. My beloved is mine, and I am his. This is the statement of, listen to this, you're, you've come to the place where you're going to be exclusive and you give that person preference over all others. Yeah, that is absolutely, except for here's the point. The Bible says to leave and to cleave. And I see lots of marrieds still living the gospel out with their parents involved in their business. Now, should you be uh, honoring your parents? Oh, of course. But the parents aren't living the gospel in that marriage. You and your husband are. There's this amazing story I heard on the radio. I'm going blank on the pastor's name. You all would know his name. He tells this story about leaving and cleaving. He says one time uh, this lady in his church told him that her daughter got married, and they never had a fight, and they got married. And she said about one week in, she hears a door shut outside, and she gets up in her window, and she sees it's her daughter, and she's bawling. And they kind of have a ranch uh, where you just come down the steps and there's the door. And the daughter gets up to the door and knocks. Mom has the chain on the door, opens it up and said, did you guys get in a fight? And she said, yeah. And she's bawling. She said, go home and solve it. Click. Now, I'm not saying that in all ways. But the point was forgiveness and mercy and grace are to be lived out in the marriage. Of course, sometimes we need help. No one's saying that. But you know the, the husband that you know, can't give up mommy or the wife who's always running to the family. And the thing is <laughs> that the marriage is to be lived out. It's exclusive, and your preference, there's a new relationship now, and that relationship is two becoming one, and they recognize it. But guess what? She still is amazingly mature until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. She says, turn aside, my beloved, and be like a gazelle and go away. That's a weird response. She knows not to awaken passion, intimacy in that way until it's time. She's more into not what can we get away with. That's not what she's about. That's not what he's about. She's more into how can we honor God in all ways, including our physical life. Isn't that beautiful? Well, she goes on and she gets on the bed and she goes, by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I didn't find him. Oh man, what did I do? I sent him away, she says. (laughs) And, uh, She goes, I'll rise now and go about the city. 
In the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, I didn't find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? And scarcely I had passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go. Isn't there an old hymn called... Anyway, there's a hymn about that. Until I had brought him to the house of my mother into the chamber of her who conceived me, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, don't stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Now, this is fascinating. She's on her bed, and she's dreaming about the one she loves. Now, catch it, folks. That's what we do when we're in love. Remember those late-night phone calls? We had like a landline, right? Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had a landline. And what would you do? You'd stay up to all hours of the night just talking. And your dad would be like, or mom in the morning, like, what were you people doing last night? I could hear you. And you're like, well, we were just talking. And it was like, well, it's 3.30 in the morning. What was going on? Right? You'd love that. And you, what do you do? Talk about nothing. Sometimes you'd just be on there and there'd be silence, right? You just wanted to be near them. That's her here. They're in love. And she sought him, but I didn't find him. There's some amazing verses here about thinking of the Lord in the night seasons. Psalm 63, 6, you could go there. Psalm 1, I meditate on his law. How often? Day and night, because it reveals my Savior. That's what a real strong person does. They're like a tree planted by the river that give forth fruit in due season. You want to be a fruitful person Fill your mind up with the glories of Christ at all times. Don't get up and watch Fallon and all that sort of thing. Get up and read big chunks of the Word, man, and go on an adventure with the one who loves you. Well, she sought him and didn't find him. That's interesting. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city. What, what possibly could that be? In the life of a Christian or a life of one who's here on the earth, a human, and a relationship with God. Well, Isaiah 55 says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation, folks. There is no purgatory. We get one chance in this life. We get tons of chances inside the life. But once this life is over, it's appointed once to die and then to judgment. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. And I might, I just might, I don't know, go out there and a bus could come by and nail me. And I'd be gone from this life. I get one chance. I'm sitting in here today hearing the gospel. Am I going to respond to it? Seek the Lord while he may be found. She gets up, and she goes and tries to find him. Is there anything in the Bible about that? Well, yes, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does the Lord call you, and do you respond to the call? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> and here, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. She gets up and goes, finds him, and she says, but wait a minute, even though I'm going to find and see who you are and, 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 and be there and find you, I still want to make sure anything that happens where we're vulnerable and laying ourselves out for each other, sexually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all the way, vulnerable, wait until it's in the covenant of marriage, and then praise the Lord. Chapter three, uh, The end of chapter 3 gets here. Look at this. This Shulamite 
This beautiful daughter says this, who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh, frankincense, with all merchants' fragrant powers? Behold, it's Solomon's couch. In other words, it's his procession. It's his wedding procession. With 60 valiant men around it. He's got like bodyguards. Isn't it interesting they has to have bodyguards? But that's for another day. Of the valiant of Israel, they all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of fear in the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palaquin. I don't know what that is. He made it pillars of silver, support of gold, seed of purple. Uh, 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 its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of gladness of his heart. And then it responds, and he says, Behold, you're fair, my love. He's saying, you're beautiful. Now, I, I know, listen, you folks are amazingly tired, and I understand. And you folks in the back are amazingly tired because you want me to shut up. But here's the point. There's a ton of people going around in the world filled with anxiety and fear, and they're paralyzed by it. And one of the reasons is because they have an incorrect view of how God sees them. Here, the king, whose representative when it's speaking of marital love, looks at his bride. He says, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. He says it twice. You're fair, my love. You're beautiful. Look what I, he compliments her about. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. I can see the Lord in you, hon. That's what he says. Oh, man, Tim, I could see the Lord in you. And you're beautiful because you have my life or Christ's life in you. And the Lord looks down. Here's what you think. Oh, my gosh, how could anybody like me? The things that I've done in my life, the things that I think in my life, how could anyone like me? Sometimes I don't even have zeal for the Lord. How could he love me? And he says, hey, bride, you're beautiful. And if you don't even know it, if, if you didn't know it, and if you don't understand it, and if you can't believe it, I'll say it again. You're beautiful. I love you. You have dove's eyes, the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Your hair is like a flock of goats. And you go, well, I wouldn't say that to my wife, but especially after the haircut story last week. But your hair is like a flock of goats. But what, is the, what does hair speak of, of the, in the Bible? It speaks of consecration. You know a real famous guy in the Bible who wouldn't cut his hair. Yeah, his name was Samson. Why? Because he took a vow. He consecrated himself to the Lord. So hair speaks of consecration, and it also speaks of submission, folks. Remember in the Old, in New Testament, it says, let the wives let their hair long or whatever, and submission to the Lord, but whatever. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Man, you're so... You're so beautiful in the way you've dedicated your life to the Lord. You're so beautiful or to me, uh, he says. You're so beautiful in the submission. You say, well, I don't feel like submitting all the time. He goes, yeah, I know, but you're trying. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep. You can chew up things and make it nutritious. You read the Bible and you see it and you hear it and you feel it and it gets down deep in you and it gives you life. You say, well, Lord, I don't understand everything all the time. That's okay. Keep trying. I love you. You're beautiful. How about this? 
Shorn sheep which have come up from the washing. Verse 3, your lips are like a strand of scarlet and your mouth is lovely. The things that come out of your mouth, they're so edifying and graceful. I love them. And your neck, watch this, is like the Tower of David. Of course, he's starting to look on the physical and he's going from here to here so you can see what's coming, right? But they're in love. It's okay. But here's something I want you to consider. Your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory in which he hung a thousand bucklers. Look, look at this. Look at this. See, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and the palace, and all those sorts of things were up high. And if David was home, his, the shields of his soldiers were gone, or excuse me, they were there, and they were gleaming in the sun. But if he was at war, the shields were gone. What's he saying to his girlfriend, soon-to-be wife? Well, they're getting married right here. He's saying, man, you're just so peaceful, and I love it. And what will the Lord do for us? He'll fill us with his supernatural peace and strength. He wants to give you edifying uh, things from your lips. He wants to give you the ability to discern the word and to be beautiful in your consecration and submission. And, and, and uh, your, your neck is peaceful. Oh, I missed your temples. Your temple's behind your veil. Your thought life is so pretty. I want to fill uh, uh, your life up with thoughts of me, Jesus says. All shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns. Now he's going lower. You can see that in the, in the history. Twins of gazelles which, gazelle, which feed among the lily. But Christ looks at what's in the heart. He doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart and he says, my goodness, I can work with that, what's in there. And the compassion that is starting to come out of you, it's so beautiful. You're not perfect all the time, but I paid for that. You're beautiful to me. We need to see that until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. I will go away my way to the mountain and to the hill of frankincense. And here it is. You all, you are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. And we'll stop there. But listen. He's so, in, listen, just, just from the history part, he's so in love with her. Come on, folks, she's not perfect. He's not perfect. But they don't let sins, little sins, wreck their love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Come on, man. What they see in each other is they love it. And and yes, you're not perfect, but you're growing, and I appreciate that in you. And she turns back and says, yes, you're growing, You're not perfect, but I appreciate that in you. And they love each other in that way. And love covers a multitude of sins. And then Jesus, because the blood of Christ, who is our chief cornerstone, the rock of our salvation, he hides us in the cleft of the rock himself, and then we can see clearly. We can see his face. We can actually come into his presence. And when we get there, we don't have to be in the corner cowering ashamed. He says, you're beautiful. But see, we need to know that. We need to know that. There are a lot of condemned walking around Christians. You're beautiful. You're all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. And you could read the New Testament where he's going to present us faultless before the throne. His beauty comes into our life when we surrender our lives to Christ. So let's do this. Let's pray. If there's somebody here who's never given their life to Christ, 
Well, I want you to come up after and talk, and we're, we want you to not leave without doing that. If the Lord's tugging at your heart, if, you, if you've been coming and you've been just kind of following along and you know the Lord's pulling the hearts, your heartstrings to come up, come up and let's make a profession of faith and let's give our lives over to the Lord. If you're here and you've fallen back into some things, you've slipped back and you don't even know if coming in here today with God loved you anymore or not, well, the Holy Spirit by His Word is here to tell you that He loves you and He thinks you're lovely. He wants you to come back and surrender your life to Him and walk forward in all the things that He has for you. Go on the adventure with Him. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for this glorious word. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work here today. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for all you've done in these young kids' lives over this last week, 10 days. And we thank you and uh, appreciate how the parents, Lord, how you've asked the parents to send their kids. And we appreciate them we thank you for their lives. And uh, Lord, as we uh, conclude here today with our teaching, we pray that if you would just put it on the heart of anyone, anybody here who's never given their lives to the Lord, that they would come up and do that today. Thank you for these people. They're beautiful, Lord. And you think so in a million ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.